Well, it's an absolute joy to be here, finally. Clint and I have been planning this for quite some time, and COVID kept interfering uh, with the times we would pick for me to try and get over here and, and visit. Uh, and um, though I live now in Wales and have lived in the United Kingdom for 14 years, uh, I am originally from the United States, originally from Greenville, South Carolina, so it's always good to come back, and I was immensely grateful to be received into Clinton Teresa's household with some good old barbecue. <laughs> and I, I refer to myself in the UK as a missionary of barbecue, and I'm teaching them all that barbecue is something you eat, it's not something you do. Uh, and uh, and they, they're responding pretty well. I'm moving them on to Southern Biscuits now, uh, which they insist on calling scones, but never mind. Uh, on a more somber note, of course, uh, uh, on behalf of my bishop and my diocese, uh, we appreciate uh, the prayers that you all are uh, certainly uh, offering up on behalf of the British people at this time of great loss. Uh, even though I spent the first 40 years of my life in this country, uh, I'm a lifelong dual citizen, so she has been my queen throughout my life. Uh, and so it's a time of much mourning and tears. And I have to say, uh, as, much, as good as it is to be here, it's a heck of a time for me to be away from my, my church. Uh, and if you'll forgive me, I would like to, before I begin to preach, uh, to say a prayer. Uh, and I'll first say it in, in Welsh. And for those of you live streaming from Wales, I apologize for this. Theocariad diochun ati am voed a frenhines. Am in Canedel ac am e fif in oti. Bithan agos at balb o honum sheen galari. Vele kafom gisir agobiaith undi gariad. Troyesi gris on argloith. Amen. God of love, we thank you for the life of the Queen, for her service to our nation, and for her faith in you. Be close to all who mourn, and that we may find comfort and hope in your love through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The official prayer of the Church of England at this time, Church in Wales at this time. And our tab, our mab, our glan, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I was very thankful when I saw today's gospel lesson. When one's invited to preach somewhere, one never quite knows what the gospel's going to be. It could be something like, oh, preach on the parable of the unjust steward, and you think, oh my goodness, what am I going to say? So being from Wales, I opened it up, and lo and behold, what's it about? Sheep. <laughs> and if there's one thing people know about in Wales, it is sheep. Of course, there's a bit more going on than, than sheep, but it was a relief to discover that. So what is going on in this parable? Well, one of the things, and I'll get to this in a bit, is living in a land where shepherding is so common on any hill or field, it will be full of sheep. I suddenly saw something in Jesus' parable that I had never noticed before. And I think it brings something out of the gospel that if you do not live where shepherding goes on, 
you wouldn't see. But you're going to have to hold on for a minute before we get to that. It'll keep you focused while I'm preaching. We'll begin with the most obvious thing. These are parables about rejoicing. Here's Jesus once again. He's got the scribes and the Pharisees pouncing on him. You're hanging out with those sinners and those outcasts. And Jesus replies with this parable. Shepherd, what what shepherd? He actually asks them a question. What shepherd would not leave his 99 sheep and go in search of the one. And then when he finds the one, he takes them home, and what does he do? He rejoices. Or what woman, having lost one of her ten coins, wouldn't sweep the house until she finds the coin and then invites the neighbors around to rejoice? And so Jesus here is telling us two things. First of all, that God rejoices in us. And that alone is an important lesson, that God rejoices in the very fact that you exist, that you were created by Him. There is no moment, there were some of you, maybe times where He comes close, where God doesn't say, oh my goodness, didn't I get carried away on that day? Shouldn't have done that. God rejoices that you exist. None of you can say that about each other all the time. I am sure every morning you do not get up and say, boy, I just give thanks that my spouse is here next to me. Well, I know first thing, every morning you get up and you say, oh, I just give thanks that Clint is my priest. But besides Clint... But God, every second of your life rejoices that you exist. In fact, if he were to stop for one nanosecond rejoicing in your existence, you would cease to exist. You only exist, I only exist, because God rejoices in us every nanosecond of our lives. That's what it means for God to have created everything, including you and me, out of his love. We are created from his love. We are sustained by his love. We only exist because of his love. And any true love involves rejoicing. But of course, in this parable, he's not just talking about God rejoicing in everything. There is a punch to this. The rejoicing is over the one who has been lost. The shepherd leaves the 99 in search of the one that's lost. The woman searches the house for that one coin that is lost. And the rejoicing in heaven is over not the other nine coins, not the 99 sheep. It's over the one that has been lost. A remarkable thing in that time where if you were lost, it was because of sins that you had committed yourself, or perhaps your father had committed, or your great-grandfather, whatever it was, the sins of your family marked you out as one who was lost, and perhaps even irreparably lost. And for Jesus to say that God so prioritizes the one who was lost that he leaves the 99 to find that one, and that's the one he rejoices over. It's a remarkable thing for him to say. Of course, it ties in beautifully with the parable of the prodigal 
son. But of course, the important thing here is the sheep has to realize it's lost. You see this actually all the time in the Welsh mountains where a lamb gets separated from the rest of the flock. And what happens is the lamb just has to sit there quietly going, oh, you know, I've got a field all to myself. This is kind of nice. It's really heartbreaking. It will bleat and bleat and bleat and bleat until the flock finds it. The heartbreaking when there's a fence in between the two. My, my wife has a hobby of rescuing lost sheep. <laughs> Usually chased off on my dog, but never mind. So you have to realize that you're lost. When I was thinking about this, I was thinking there's, there's kind of a British and American difference here. So in Britain, when the shepherd shows up to the lost sheep, the sheep would say, oh, Jesus, what are you doing here? You should be with the 99 who are lost. I'm the one who's where it should be. We in America, we're a little bit better at admitting that we're sinners. We, after all, we go to church. And we even say, if we pray the old prayer book, that we're miserable sinners. But if we acknowledge that we're sinners, we certainly think we are sinners who now have all the answers. One of the things I've learned about being an American living abroad is we are the most opinionated bunch of people in the world. We have firm opinions about everything, and we think we're right about everything. And it could be some great social issue, or it could be something as minor as, as anything. doesn't matter. Man, we're going to die on our sword defending that ground. We are an opinionated bunch of people. The word for people who are firm in their opinions, who think they are right in the Bible, is self-righteousness. And that makes us, even if we acknowledge that we're in some kind of religious way, that really in day-to-day -day life doesn't really matter that much. In some religious way, we're lost and we're sinners. And the way that we behave on a daily basis, we're not like that lost sheep. We're like the Pharisees. So we have to acknowledge deep down that we are not just lost, we are utterly lost. And when we are utterly lost, and if you are a sheep, the only thing you can do is bleat for all that you are worth so that the shepherd can find you, so that the flock can help you, help the shepherd find you. And when we do that, when we do that to the core of our being, when we do it in humility, when we do it by seeking to love those around us as well, acknowledging our own sinfulness, especially those we can't stand, then the shepherd will find us, and the shepherd will rejoice. So, so far, that parable is all about us, about the sheep. But the thing that living in Wales has made me realize is that the parable is also about God. And it's interesting. I kind of wonder if Luke leaves a little bit out of the response to Jesus' parable. Because if there had been shepherds in his audience, when Jesus says, what would a shepherd do? Wouldn't he leave his 99 sheep to go look for the one? 
every shepherd would have said, no. Because when he found that sheep and got back to the flock, there'd be five missing at that point. And then when he found those five and got back, there'd be 20 missing at that point. And it would be a never-ending process. They would say, God being like a shepherd who goes and leaves the 99, and notice what it says, doesn't leave the 99 in a fold, doesn't leave 99 with his sheepdog, doesn't leave 99 with another shepherd, he leaves 99 in the wilderness to go in search of the one. Jesus is saying that God is like a crazy shepherd. But that is how much he loves us. He can't leave us alone. And, shocking to the Pharisees, he's even implying that God loves the sinner who's coming to repentance far more than the 99 who think they're all right with God. Or the woman. If he's crazy as a shepherd, then notice the woman. She loses one coin. One coin is about a day's wage. Now, if we lost a day's wage, one out of ten, then we would be happy, we'd look for it, we'd certainly be excited, but we probably wouldn't be so excited that we'd invite our neighbors around to celebrate that. Partly because what would that imply? We're poor. We are so poor that losing one-tenth of a period's payment would make us rejoice with our neighbors. So Jesus, having just said that God is like a crazy, you could even say an incompetent shepherd, now says something in the ancient world that's even more shocking, that God is not like those pagan gods who are mighty and powerful compared to lions and the thunder and lightning and earthquakes. God is like a woman so poor that she spends her day finding the little bit of money she left, that she lost, and invites those around her to rejoice when she finds it. Luke's great theme is how Jesus is turning the world upside down, or you might say the right side up. And it's a lesson that comes to us very powerfully in the here and now, a world that every bit as much wants to be among the righteous, who thinks it's righteous, who thinks it has the answers. The world that could never think or dream of comparing the God we worship to a poor woman, a defenseless individual, someone vulnerable and possibly even weak. And yet it's by being the sinner that does repent, the sinner that bleats, the sinner that accepts that we don't have the answers, that we depend utterly on God. It's by being like God who is the woman searching desperately for that which she has lost. It is by being like the shepherd who's listening for those around us, bleating, and not condemning them like the Pharisees, but risking all to save that one person. That we then show forth the kingdom in our world, show forth how God's kingdom and God's family and God's people Yes, you are different 
from all that is going on out there. And that the God we worship is the loving shepherd, the good shepherd, the poor woman who loves us and loves this world so much that all of heaven rejoices each time we reclaim for him that one lost soul. Amen.